Hello and welcome back to Love God and Your Neighbor. As usual, I'm Laura Hutchinson, pastor of First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama, and I hope and pray that you are all well today. I also hope that you are able to sense that the Holy Spirit of God is with you today and always, even when you can't feel it. God is with you. I have an exciting announcement to make. On Thursday, the church council met and decided that we would plan to begin meeting in the sanctuary on Palm Sunday, the last Sunday in March the 28th. That's four weeks from today. God willing, and if things with the pandemic don't worsen between now and then, we'll be back together in that beautiful sacred space once more. The podcast will still continue on as usual for anyone who's still not comfortable coming in person. And for in-person worship, there will be precautions in place, and we ask you all who come to respect the rules. Rules like sitting six feet away from other household folks, wearing masks over your mouth and your nose the whole time you're in the building, not singing, not hugging people or shaking hands, um, washing your hands and using hand sanitizer frequently, you know, all of that. As far as I know, a decent amount of folks have received the vaccine now, and others are scheduled to get theirs in the next month or so. I just scheduled my first vaccine for this week, so I'm excited. So we feel like it's time, and what better day for us to gather together in person than on Palm Sunday, the day of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We will wave palms and joyously celebrate both Jesus and each other together again. So with that hopeful and joyful thought in mind, let us focus on God's grace once more today, and let us, with hearts filled with love, worship the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Sing with me now our hymn of praise, all creatures of our God and King. Of evening, find the voice. 
Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn the water who had drawn the water, knew. The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. According to Christianity.com, grace is the most important concept in the Bible, in Christianity, and in the world. It is most clearly expressed in the promises of God revealed in Scripture and embodied in Jesus Christ. Grace is the love of God shown to the unlovely, the peace of God given to the restless, the unmerited favor of God. In other words, God has made a way for us to be with God when we wouldn't or couldn't have made a way for ourselves. 
God has given God's love when we've behaved in unlovable ways. God has offered us forgiveness of our wrongdoings when we haven't done anything to earn that forgiveness. And God gives us what we need when we haven't even earned it. Grace goes against all common sense. It's unreasonable. It's irrational. And it is very, very real. Most often when we talk about grace, we talk about it in grandiose terms. We talk about someone on death row being declared innocent. We talk about an adulteress in the Bible being forgiven by Jesus. We talk about the thief who hung on the cross next to Jesus. You know, the one that Jesus told would be in paradise with him that day. We talk about people who have done some horrific things, being forgiven of their sins. And so we understand grace as being a big, showy act of love on God's part. And it really is. But what about those of us who go about our daily lives not really making such big mistakes? You know, those of us for whom sin isn't currently derailing everything we hold dear. How does God's grace affect us? Well, you might not have thought about it before, but the story of the wedding at Cana is a story about grace. Yes, it's about a miracle about Jesus turning water into wine, but it's also about Jesus offering grace to a couple whose wedding celebration was about to go very wrong. We talked about this same scripture in the Bible study on Wednesday, and we covered some basic details about the who, what, when, where, and why of the story. For example, the wedding took place just a few days after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and after he had called Nathanael to follow him. They probably traveled about two days from Bethany to Cana, which was probably located, they're guessing really about where Cana is or was, but it's probably about nine miles from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. Jesus, Mary, and the disciples were invited to the wedding, not because they were celebrities or because the couple wanted someone there who could perform miracles for the guests, No, they were simply friends of the family, and no one yet had any idea of what Jesus could possibly do. At that time in ancient history, you have to know that weddings were an even bigger deal than they are today, which is hard to believe considering some of the weddings I've been to. But often the celebrations would last days, maybe even a week, and the whole village sometimes was invited It was the bride and groom's responsibility to provide food and drink for their guests for the whole time, and wine was an especially important part of those celebrations. It was almost a ritualistic part of the event, kind of like going to a Jewish Seder today. The wine is a sacred part of each moment and each transition into the next part of the ritual. So for them to run out of wine early in the week, well, that was just a disaster. It was the kind of social faux pas that would follow that couple and could cast a shadow over their marriage for years to come. So Mary comes up to Jesus and whispers, they're out of wine. And Jesus basically says, so? Actually, he says, woman, what concern is that to you and me? 
And if we're not careful, Jesus could easily come off looking like a bit of a jerk here, don't you think? First, he calls his mother woman. I mean, that sounds disrespectful. But the fact is, in Greek, the word that translates as woman was actually a sign of respect, like Frau in German or lady in English. And then he goes on to say, why should I be worried about wine? Which sounds like he doesn't care about the needs of his friends. But we have to understand that Jesus's concerns were heavenly, not worldly. He was a big picture guy, you know, concerned about the long-term eternal well-being of people. And he was not really tuned into the day-to-day concerns. I've known people like him or who I imagine behave a little bit like Jesus did. People who were very intellectual or very spiritual, who seemed to walk around with their head in the clouds, their minds filled with giant, big ideas, but couldn't figure out how to make their own dinner. I sometimes wonder if that's what Jesus was like. So when his mother says they're out of wine, he had a moment of confusion, you know, like, huh? What's wine got to do with why I was born, why I exist, and so on and so forth? But Jesus quickly pivots and realizes the implications of the wedding couple's predicament, and he takes care of it. And not only does he take care of it, he knocks it out of the park. He doesn't just make enough wine, he makes 180 gallons of wine, which is an obscene amount, even for a whole week's worth of celebrations. And he doesn't just make good wine, he makes the best wine. So much so that the steward feels compelled to go to the bride and groom to compliment their generosity for serving such good wine so late in the day, you know, when everyone was already too drunk to appreciate it. In the Bible study this past week, we discussed the scripture, and one person mentioned that the only way she had ever heard the miracle at Cana talked about was as a huge, amazing, gigantic deal, as if it was breaking news kind of stuff where everyone was talking about it from one side of the country to the other. When in fact, it was quite the opposite. Jesus didn't necessarily change the water into wine in secret. After all, the servants, the disciples, and Mary knew what was happening. But Jesus didn't make a big deal out of it either. Very graciously, he let the wedding be about the bride and the groom and never took the spotlight at all. His miracle was not about him, nor was it about shining a light on God's glory. No, it was an act of grace given to his friends just when they were in a tight spot. A story from the Bible study that we are doing right now talks just about being in a tight spot. They tell a story about a puppy named Jazz. Firefighters were called to a family's home after their puppy got her head trapped in the metal garden gate. The 15-week-old Hungarian Vizla Jazz was trapped for about an hour while family members, firefighters, and numbers of neighbors tried everything they could think of to free her, including covering her in vegetable oil. When all else failed, the firefighters used the equipment that they used to free humans from vehicle wreckages to set Jazz free. How did Jazz end up stuck in the gate? 
Well, Jazz had been enthusiastically running towards the front drive, oblivious to where she was and what she was doing. She just dashed ahead as puppies do. Failing to stop in time, she crashed into the gate and her head became lodged in one of the small holes in the side gate. Can you imagine the scene? An out-of-control dog crashes into a fence and gets her head stuck between the bars. Since Jazz was unhurt and later freed, that's a humorous and pointed story. But life, with its unexpected circumstances, runs out of control sometimes, doesn't it? When it does, it creates all kinds of predicaments. It happened to Jazz. It happened to an unnamed bride and groom. It happens to all of us. And we see in this story about a wedding in a small community that even though Jesus may not relate to what we're dealing with, he is still there to give us what we need, even when we don't know we need it yet. That is grace. Jesus is with us every moment of every day. Jesus is here to see to our needs, to get us out of tight spots, to help us deal with difficult situations, and to give us a way out when we can't possibly imagine a solution to our problem. Very often, people come to me for advice or to help mediate a different conversation, a difficult conversation with another person. And you know, my first inclination is to be nervous. I mean, who am I to give advice or to help mediate conflict? But the older I get, the less time I spend being nervous. And that's because I know Jesus so much better now than I did then. Now, when I'm called into a situation with unknown factors ahead, I immediately pray. I ask God to be with me. I ask God to guide me. I ask God to send the Holy Spirit into our midst. And I trust that God will guide us to a wonderful outcome. And so far, God has always come through. Y'all, that's grace. You may have found yourself in a difficult financial situation, one where you couldn't see any possible solution, any possible way out. You think there's no way we're going to survive this difficult time. There's no way we're going to get through this. And then one day you're sitting on the other side of the crisis, looking back and thinking, huh, we made it. We're okay. Well, that's grace. And maybe you've been hit with the sudden loss of someone you love dearly. The grief is so intense, you can hardly catch your breath sometimes. And you think, I will never feel okay again. And so you pray and you try to give it to God and you still hurt, and you still cry, and life, the light of life has become dim. And then one day, you think of the person you lost, and you're able to smile at a memory. And then you wake up one morning, and the terrible feeling in your stomach isn't quite as bad. And one evening, as you're getting ready for bed, you realize you've had a really good day. And you find you're laughing more than you were, And your feelings of anger and frustration and irritability and even confusion don't seem to be with you quite as often anymore. And you come to a place in your life when you feel a certain amount of peace and you realize that God has been with you the whole time. And God has walked you through your grief, through the valley of the shadow of death, so to speak, and into a place where you can feel joy again. That's 
grace. In the play Godspell, we see a vagabond group of people with no real purpose in life begin to follow around this other vagabond-type person. He's wearing a Superman t-shirt and rainbow suspenders, and of course he's wearing pants, but who cares what they look like? They're excited to be with him because he makes them feel something they've never felt before. And as the first act progresses, they develop a kind of awe of him, and they drink up every word he says. And really, Jesus hasn't done anything all that amazing yet, but they sense in him something new, something good, something pure, and they want to be near him. And so he leads them, and he teaches them, and he helps them see that there is another way of being in this life and in the next life. And he loves them. He loves them. And they grow to love him as well. That's grace. Grace is love, and love is grace. You can't have one without the other. And so what Godspell shows us is what grace feels like. It feels like joy. It feels like peace. It feels like a reprieve. It feels like kindness. It feels like security. It feels like God has wrapped these big, strong arms around your life and has pulled you close. Grace is a day-by-day kind of thing. Yes, it's a miracle so big we can't possibly wrap our minds around it. After all, the forgiveness of sins is a divine act so powerful no human on earth could ever do it. Well, except Jesus. And grace is also in the little things, in the average things, in the moments of your day that you might not even notice. Grace is Jesus walking you through life, keeping you company, loving you when you're a jerk, picking you up when you fall down, moving you through obstacles, and caring for you when no one else does. Grace is amazing, for sure. There is no doubt about that. But when you walk with Jesus, grace is also a quiet gift, doing seemingly average tasks and getting you through this tricky thing called life. You are not alone. Lean into your Savior and relish the grace that is given to you and feel the peace of knowing that God is with you each and every day. Amen? And now for our musical meditation from the Broadway musical Godspell. Listen now to Day by Day.
The season of Lent is a time of wilderness wandering for God's people. It's the time of the Christian year when we join Jesus in his wilderness temptations, in his time of fasting and praying, and in his time of coming to terms with the reality of his calling. Well, the fact is, we have been in that wilderness for over a year now, haven't we? Our wanderings didn't start on Ash Wednesday a couple of weeks ago. Now, it started the first day that news agencies started reporting on this new coronavirus that was sweeping the nations. During this time, we've known sacrifice and despair and temptation and hunger and anxiety, haven't we? And so we are in a better place than ever to appreciate the sacrifices Jesus made for all of us. Everything God did in Jesus was an act of grace born of love. God's grace in all its manifestations runs the spectrum from amazing and mind-blowing to quietly average and simple. And it is all a gift that stems from God's great act of love when he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. 
As we come to the table and celebrate that sacrifice, may we be drawn into a mindset that allows us to appreciate God and all that God does for us truly and completely. On the night when the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, blessed it, and said, This is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, blessed it, and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Please pray with me. John Newton wrote these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Loving God, may our eyes be opened as well, and may we not only become more aware of our sins, may we be so moved by your love that we will choose every day to turn away from those sinful behaviors and towards you. Amen. Amen. Come and eat the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Let's celebrate all that Christ has done for us by singing our communion hymn together, He Leadeth Me. Me. 
Join me in the Litany of Remembrance, which you can find printed in the About This Episode segment of the podcast. By partaking in this meal, we remember that Christ was born. Christ Christ died. died. Christ was raised. Christ Christ will will come come again. again. This is the mystery of our faith. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Go from this place knowing that God's grace, as amazing as it might seem, or as average as it might seem, is always with you. Turn to your God and trust you are in good, strong, capable, and loving hands. Amen.